Hello, we're in John 4, and we come to the first of our, sorry, the third of our word pictures, if you like, in chapter 4, wonderful chapter of the Bible, um, rightly so, many, one of many people's favourite chapters, John 4, and uh, we looked first of all at water, and last week we looked at worship, and this week we're going to look at witness, so John 4, 27... Just then his disciples came back. They marvelled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water pot and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? They went out of the town and came to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, yet comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Saviour of the world. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. So this is the third sermon dealing with Jesus and the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well. Act 1 was water, Act 2 was worship, and now Act 3, witness. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And the Greek word testimony is the same word for witness to bear witness to give testimony to so witness testify come from the same original greek word so this is a passage this is a story about witnessing now as soon as i say this is a passage and this is going to be a sermon about witnessing some people get the spiritual heebie-jeebies you know okay a sermon on prayer is bad sermons on holiness are discouraging but it's hard to have anything worse than a sermon on witnessing. We're going to feel really bad. And as a result, as an application, we're going to have to go and twist people's arms and sell something. There are many reasons why bearing witness to Jesus is difficult. And one of them is that we have the wrong idea about what witnessing is. This passage points us in a different direction. I want you to see three things about bearing witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, it doesn't have to be complicated. That's the first paragraph, verse 27, the disciples come back. Remember in verse 8, they'd gone away to buy food. They came back and they're amazed to find Jesus having this conversation. There are some records that some, some rabbis at that time said that to talk to a woman, even your wife, was a distraction. Don't anyone get any ideas, of course. It was considered a diversion from studying the Torah. There is no place to be talking to women, let alone a Samaritan woman. And a sinner, her infamy, 
probably had followed her. She was notorious. People would have known and talked about her. How many husbands that she'd had. And who was the man that was with her now? And here we find the Lord Jesus in the heat of the day, alone at a well, talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman, a sinful Samaritan woman. John records they didn't ask anything. Some people have tried to spiritualise this and say this is the disciples learning to put such great trust in the master that they dare not question his methods and they did not ask him anything. I think it's the disciples perhaps waiting for the woman to leave so that they can ask all their questions or probably just thinking to themselves, this is awkward. I cannot believe that he is talking to her. So John records they do not ask. And they're probably sitting there as many of us would do, piously looking on while we silently judge. That's what we're very good at. What a terrible decision. They didn't ask him anything. And then the woman in verse 28 leaves in a hurry. She's embarrassed, perhaps. That would be understandable. All the men come back and here she is. Maybe she's eager to share what she's just experienced. But surely John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to notice in verse 28 that she is in a hurry. She left her water pot. She went into town and said to the people, she's ready to go. She can't help but share what has happened to her. Her whole purpose for coming. She went to the well to get a drink. That was her purpose in going to the well in the first place. She comes in the heat of the day when most people don't come. She comes by herself when most people would come in a group. She's a loner and she's there to get water for the man she's with, for herself, for the day. And she has left behind the very purpose of her visit. So overcome, so overwhelmed is she by this encounter with this Jewish rabbi, this man who she is beginning to think might be something so much more than a man. She leaves her water pot and she runs into town. And notice what she says in verse 29. Come and see. Come and see. Ah, is that not ringing a bell? John 1 verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? In verse 39, he said to them, come and see. John 1 46 Nathanael said to him can anything good come out of Nazareth Philip said to him come and see for the third time in John's gospel we have this simple refrain first of all in from the lips of our Lord Jesus do you have questions come and see secondly to you know second secondly Philip says to Nathaniel, sorry I was getting slightly muddled up there, but Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. And now the woman of John 4, running back, leaving her water pot, says, come and see. Brothers and sisters, this is my takeaway. This is my point. Bearing witness doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes it is as simple as, would you come to church with me? I want you to see what I'm seeing. And hear what I'm hearing. And learn what I'm learning. Many of you have been to church your entire life. For decades. You know the Bible better than somebody who has never read it before. I believe that to be true. So what could you do? You could meet somebody. 
a friend, a co-worker, a family member. Maybe read through John's Gospel together. It can be as simple as that. Come and see. Would you read a book of the Bible with me? You're not trying to sell something. You're trying to show something. The woman of John 4 has done a pretty incredible job of sharing. Now you may say, but she has something really incredible to share. But so do you. I want you to meet someone who knows me better than I know myself. It is the same Jesus. He knew her. He knows you. Now, she is not quite sure yet. She says in verse 29, can this be the Christ? In Greek, there are different words for questions. And there are some words that expect a negative response. They're hesitant questions. And there are some words that expect a positive response. This one has the little Greek word mitai, which means it's hesitant, meaning, meaning she's not yet sure. Could it be? Is this the one? But what we do know is that the woman is moving in the right direction from when we first met her and she was standoffish. Verse 9 of chapter 4, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Verse 7, the woman said to him, so you have nothing to draw water with. Verse 17, the woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying I have no husband. Verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say Jerusalem is the place to worship. To then, all of that, to then probe in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Now she's at the point of some kind of believing. She's on the right trajectory. And often when you talk to people, that is what you're going to see. There's a process, there's steps. But the people are coming, verse 30. They come out of the town. It's an effective witness. She hasn't received any training. She's not an expert, but she knows who she has met and that he is no ordinary man. So she says, come and see, and they come. Despite her past, or maybe because of it, you may think your past disqualifies you, that nobody would listen to you. Nobody would want to hear about this because they know who I am. But maybe that's the thing that will get people's attention because they know what you have been like and they know where you have been and they know who you are. The man that she has met has made such an impression on her. She doesn't set up on a street corner. Some people do that and the Lord uses it. But what she simply does is go to people that she was with, her natural associates, her people, the people who knew her. She went back to Samaria. Maybe she went back to Shechem or some town nearby. And she says, come and see a man who told me everything I'd ever did. That's how evangelism works best and most naturally. It is most best and most effective when you go to the people that know you the best. And that's why recent converts often are the most effective evangelists because you get one person and they go and tell their friends and they tell the people, you're never going to believe the change that has happened to me. In some ways, it becomes more difficult when you've been in the church for decades. Our contacts with non-Christians become less and we have to plan how we meet people, not to excuse us. You have to learn, you have to grow, you have to be trained. But whatever it is, go and tell people. This woman met Jesus. She ran into town. She said, come and see. There is a saying around the acronym KISS. K 
K-I-S-S, Keep It Simple Stupid. And it's, no, it's well known because it's a design principle that states that designs and or systems should be as simple as possible. Keep it simple, stupid. Let us change it. Keep it simple for sinners. Kiss. You're a sinner. Whoever you're witnessing to is a sinner. Strategies are good. Apologetics. I love apologetics. They can be really useful. But here is the bottom line. This is the line. Do you have something amazing to share? Because we're all natural evangelists for the things that we're passionate about. Anyone ever made the mistake of saying to somebody, how are your grandchildren? And it's a good thing to say, but it can be a mistake. And the, because the person can say, this is the only reason I ever bought an iPhone, because I have 30,000 pictures. Do you have an hour or three so that I can show you the pictures of my grandchildren? You don't have to twist anyone's arm to talk about their grandchildren. You go to some restaurant you love, you tell people about it, about how, how good the scampi was. Now I get it. Telling people about Jesus is more controversial than telling people about your grandchildren or about the scampi or talking about Formula One. But here is the same principle at heart. You talk about what you're passionate about. If you met some famous person, you would tell people and you've met the most most important person in the world, the person who made it all. You know him. His name is Jesus. Come and see. Witnessing doesn't have to be complicated. Second, witnessing doesn't have to look successful. Follow the argument from verse 31. The disciples came back. They're not exactly tracking with Jesus. They're not firing on all cylinders. They're thinking about, we went to get food. You have to eat. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat you do not know about. So the disciples said, has anyone brought him something to eat? They're not getting it. You see the parallels. First of all, he's talking to the woman of John 4 at the beginning of the chapter. She wants water. He's talking about a different kind of water. They want to talk about food. But he's talking about a different kind of food. They're not tracking with it. They're thinking earthly. They're thinking bread and whatever. He's thinking spiritual. And then Jesus switches metaphors. He begins to talk about sowing and reaping. That there's usually a delay between the sowing and the reaping. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 35. There's apparently a saying that they had. Do you not say there are yet four months? Here comes the harvest. So they would sow and then four months later they would reap. And they had this little proverbial saying. The point is that there was a gap. You don't sow and reap at the same time. You sow four months later you reap. He makes the same point in verse 37. Another saying that holds true. One sows and other reaps. It happens at different times and many times different people yeah one that sows four months later somebody else reaps the point is that there's a delay between the two and anyone who's been around farming understands that it takes some time you'll get sunshine you'll get rain you put fertilizer you're going to watch that baby grow but there's a gap between sowing and reaping but here is what jesus is saying in this unique moment in the redemption history with the inbreaking of the kingdom there is a unique opportunity for an unprecedented harvest that's what he says in verse 35 the fields are white unto harvest he says in verse 36 already the one who reaps is receiving wages gathering fruit for eternal life 
So the reaper is already busy at work. The harvester is already bringing in a crop. The sower and the reaper, second half of verse 36, rejoice together. So think about that image. Things were happening so quickly, so miraculously, so amazingly that the sower is sowing seed and the reaper is bringing in the harvest and they are rejoicing together. No delay, no four months. They're meeting each other in the field. I'm doing the sowing. You're doing the reaping. It's happening at the same time because God has given this amazing harvest of faith. Jesus says to the disciples in verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have not entered into their labour. We're not exactly sure who the other is or even if we're meant to know. Is he talking about Jesus or the Samaritan woman or prophets of old? But the point is, disciples, you're going to see more than you deserve to see. You're entering the field that has been sown and you're going to reap. So keep it in mind If in your life you see some great spiritual success, it is not owing to you. Perhaps God has used you, but there have been many other people he has used along the way. So we need to keep in mind whenever you see perhaps success in your sphere of ministry as a parent, as a disciple maker, as a minister, as a church officer, Whatever success you may see, it's because of many hands to put their hands to the plough. But what Jesus says here is, look, this is a unique moment in redemption history. This is what the prophets of old were looking for. The sower and the reaper meet together in the field. This is the point I want you to see. You may say that seems the opposite of the point that witnessing does not have to look like success. Well, that really the implication here. Because Jesus says normally in the harvest there is a four-month delay. Normally when you farm there is a sower and there is a reaper. Now this moment here with the Samaritans is whitened to harvest. And so sowing and reaping is happening at the same time. But the implication is this this is not how things normally work. And we know this from elsewhere in the Bible. Paul says some plant, some water, God gives the growth. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6. Or Jesus in Mark 4, when he tells the parables of the kingdom, the parable of the sower, the soil, some seed falls out, some grows for a little while, it gets washed away, some of it gets picked by the birds, some of it gets choked, and some of it in time bears fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold, but you have to wait. And he tells the parable of the farmer who sows the seed and goes to sleep night and day, and then lo and behold, at the end of time, there is a harvest no one could imagine. Or the parable of the mustard seed, which is the smallest and then becomes this towering plant. All of those to indicate that what you see at the end, you may never see at the beginning. There is a delay. There is a gap to remind us that witnessing now often looks like a waste, that you will never see in this life all the good your sowing has done. But keep sowing. Come and see. Come to church. Keep sowing. Just sowing. We're familiar with the parable of the sower. Some falls on the concrete, some falls on the thorns, some on the shallow ground, some of it grows, some gets snatched away, but the sower is sowing everywhere. Why are you sowing on concrete? Why are you waste your seed on pavements? Why are you throwing it into the thorns and the thistles? That isn't where the crops grow. He just keeps on sowing. I, you all have people in our life, you think, that this will never work. 
We have people that seem like us. They seem like normal. That they they might be able to come to Jesus, but you put other people in a different category. They they're such real big sinners. They they really are messed up. They're beyond the pale. It's too complicated. They aren't like me at all. I'm kind of a good guy. I you know I look all right. I just need a bit of tweaking here and there. So I'm not going to waste my seed over there. I'm going to tell the bloke who wears a jumper just like me. You're not going to run out of seed. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. Make it your aim to sow faithfully whether you ever reap fantastically. Is it not a saying four months and then the harvest you don't see the success the first time you sow? Keep sowing. Come and see. Come to church. Bearing witness doesn't have to look like success. But here's the third and final point. It doesn't have to be a failure. It certainly wasn't the failure among the Samaritans. The woman was eager. She runs into town and the town comes to Jesus. He stays two days. Many believed the woman and many more believed after they met the Lord Jesus face to face. The fields really were white unto harvest. The sower and the reaper rejoicing together. This is the day. The prophets had foretold Amos 9 verse 13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. You understand the imagery? The plowman and the reaper are falling over each other, just like the one who sows the seed for the grapes and the one who press, you know, treads out the grapes. That is the sowing and the weeping, reaping are happening so fast and at the same time, God is doing this amazing work. And that's what is happening here with a Samaritan. So look around you, your life, your family, your job, your neighbourhood, your coffee shop, your Facebook page, your prayer list. Are there any fields that look even a little bit white unto harvest? Anything you think there may be an open door there? Sometimes we spend so much energy trying to plan and to plot We forget to look and see what God is doing already. We need to be flexible. We need to look around us and say, where are these opportunities white unto harvest? Where are there doors that may be open for the gospel? Where do we knock on some doors? Because some doors surprisingly open when you knock. Yes, we need committees. Yes, we need studies. Yes, we need planning and plotting. But don't forget to look around you. Where is God at work? Are you prepared to follow? Who would have thought that there would have been a harvest among the Samaritans? Certainly not the Samaritans. If the disciples had put their heads together, they wouldn't have said Samaria. They would have said Jerusalem. But lo and behold, Samaria. In Samaria, people are believing in Jesus, making a way for the success of the mission to the Samaritans in Acts 8. They are the first fruits of a fallen world returning to Christ. And don't miss what they say in 42, for we have heard for ourselves. Secondhand testimony is no substitute for a personal encounter with Jesus. They hear from Jesus. You do not think that they can still do it? Is that not what we believe about this book? That they can still meet Jesus? They can still hear the very words of Jesus? You take him to the world. You say, come and see. It is even better because there Jesus was. If you ever wanted to meet Jesus, you had to be there in Samaria. But now by the Holy Spirit and by his word, we can meet him anywhere. Come and see, show and tell, go and speak. 
And remember, ultimately, we're not introducing people to reform theology, not even to Lake Road Chapel. The first goal and the end goal is to introduce people to our Lord Jesus Christ. Not a program, not a plan, but a person. They call him the saviour of the world. Do you know this saviour? I need to ask that question because we've been talking about witnessing to others and perhaps you do not, do, you do not yet know the saviour. Have you seen him? Oh, not visibly, but have you seen him on the pages of scripture? Do you hear him calling? Jesus in his word, looking. I love this quotation from John Calvin. What was the office of Christ is well known. To advance the kingdom of God, to restore life to lost souls, to spread the light of the gospel, in short, to bring salvation to the whole world. The excellence of these things caused him when fatigued and hungry to forget food and drink. Yet we derive this from no ordinary consolation when we learn that Christ was so anxious about the salvation of men that it gave him the highest delight to procure it. And I love this line, for we cannot doubt that he is now actuated by similar feelings toward us. You see what John Calvin is saying? Is it not a great consolation that the Lord Jesus, although he was hungry, they were getting food for him, he was thirsty, he wanted a drink, he wanted food and water, and yet so much more eager was he to talk to this Samaritan woman about the things of God. He set aside food and drink. And Jesus still feels the same way about sinners like you and like me. Why did John spend so much time on this story? We're four chapters in and fully one quarter of the gospel so far is about one incident with one woman at a well in Samaria. Why? Because it demonstrates what we have seen and heard in John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And now we see it in colour. He loves the world. He loves sinners. He sent his son to meet this Samaritan woman to meet you. Do you know him? Will you speak of him? They call him the saviour of the world. Not Messiah, that is true. Not Christ, not the word that they use. They had a different word, Tahib. It was the word of this in Samaria for their redeemer, for their deliverer. None of these words. Here he is, the saviour of the world. We saw in the previous episode that salvation is from the Jews. But now we see that salvation is not only for the Jews, but for Samaritans, for the world. Salvation is for you and me. And do you believe that God still saves people? That witnessing, though it may not look like a success, doesn't have to be a failure. I think our two biggest obstacles to witnessing for most of us is that we don't have close relationships with non-Christians that we can easily share in a way that doesn't seem awkward. And secondly, I think deep down we don't even believe it works. We do it to be obedient. We do it to get the pastor off our back. We do it so that the pastor can have illustration to share, so we can share something. But it doesn't really work, does it? Samaritans? People that you know are no worse than Samaritans, and they, they came out to see. It isn't complicated. We love head, we love heart, we love theology, we love lost people, we love to worship, we love to share. We love to do Bible studies, we love to hug some of us a little bit. But be honest, be yourself, smile, pray, tell people. 
about Jesus that you know. You may not see anything for it, but in a lifetime together by the Spirit and prayer, by his word, we may just see more than we could ever ask or imagine.